Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm excited to be joined today by Lisa Erickson, who up until recently has been leading customer experience and CRM at many leading brands and now has her own consultancy firm. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here today. So you're here today to discuss why customer value really does go beyond just what they're spending uh, and really should be recognized in their advocacy behavior as well. Um, And the model that you created at Sleep Number Corp that really was able to recognize and track that. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure. Hi, I'm Lisa Erickson. I am born and bred Minnesotan, so I have worked for a number of large uh, national companies that are based in Minnesota. Until I left uh, about eight months ago, I retired from one of them. So I started my career at Target Corporation, who I'm sure everybody is familiar with. And there I joined right out of college, was there for 15 years, and really was a jack jack of all trades. Started in the buying office, did planning, went into finance. Uh, marketing, just did a whole variety of things and absolutely loved my time with that company. Uh, But then it was time to move on and I moved on to Best Buy. I was there for over 10 years uh, to lead their promotional planning and strategic planning departments and then went into customer centricity at Best Buy. So got a lot of uh, great experience there doing other things. And from there, I went on to Sleep Number. And I was at Sleep Number for 13 years until I retired in May of last year. And at Sleep Number, I led the CRM and loyalty teams. So I was responsible for all customer-facing communications in direct mail, email, SMS. I was responsible for the loyalty program, which included repeat and referral sales, which were a tremendous part of Sleep Number's business, which is we'll talk a little bit about today. And um, absolute and and built the loyalty program, which is Sleep Number Rewards, um, which was all about advocacy. So loved my time there, but then it was time to you know I was fortunate enough where I could retire and start my own uh, consulting business. Fabulous. I've really been looking forward to this episode. I must say, I think from the the, the time that we first connected, um, and I'm not going to give too many spoilers away because I know you're going to cover it, but just your your thought and your approach to advocacy and the businesses, obviously, you've worked in as well. Um, We're going to cover some really exciting stuff today. So uh, can't wait to get into that shortly. Um, Before we do, though, as tradition always on the show, um, I'd love for you to share a time recently where, as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer as well. Yeah. I've got a great example from like just about three weeks ago. So like I said, I'm from Minnesota. Now we're having an Indian summer right now. So it is in the 40s and 50s, we are in heaven. But the first week of January was bitter, bitter, bitter cold, well below zero. And started to panic thinking, oh my gosh, my furnace, what if my furnace goes out? So did a little research, found a company called Bonfi and knew that they had a service program. 
uh, but didn't want to sign up for the service program yet. Um, I scheduled them to come out and just take a look. The guy, the first of all, the communicate, the ease of scheduling was amazing. Um, when he came out, just super friendly, explained everything to me. And my husband was not home. He's usually the one that takes care of this stuff. Another reason I was panicking because he wasn't home. <laughs> I didn't want to be stopped in the cold. And he explained everything to me just beautifully. He opened up this one panel and said, this is your humidity thing. It was like disgustingly gross. And he's like, I'm going to replace this for you. But instead of me replacing this every time I come, I want you to order new replacements from Amazon because they're a lot cheaper, right? So number one, he's like saying, I'm going to come out and do it for you, but I want to save you some money. Go to Amazon and do it because it's really going to save you money. Also, Lisa, do you know about our service program? I'm like, absolutely. I do actually. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about. And he goes, listen, if you sign up for this, it's this much money. You don't have to pay for this visit today. And I'm going to come out again and look at your air conditioner. So my visit was free. The service program didn't cost that much at all. And he was just really upfront and really pleasant. And that's what you want from somebody, right? You Sometimes you feel when they're coming in your house, they're going to try to mess with you, right? They're going to try to nickel and dime you. They absolutely didn't do that. They wanted to give me the best service. They wanted, and he's like, and there's nothing wrong with your, your, um, your furnace. You know, we figured out what my issue was. It was user error on my app that I was using to control the furnace, but there was nothing wrong with it. So he wasn't trying to, he could have easily said, here's something wrong. We need to replace it with this very expensive part. And he didn't. Got a nice thank you for him from him afterwards and a letter. So, I mean, I'm fan. I'm a fan. Brilliant example. And, you know, the, the fact that he recommended you to go to Amazon to get that part because it was cheaper is, is really is really kind of thinking along the line, isn't it? Because yes, he could get a little bit more money from you from that part, but actually what he's doing there is starting to, you know, build your trust and, and build ultimately build your fandom to the point where, you know, you've, I assume, did you sign up to the service program? Of with course them? I did. Yeah. But you know, it wasn't, it, it isn't even that expensive. I mean, it literally would have cost me 30 more bucks to sign up for the, than the one-time visit, you know, yeah. to have service for a year. And he was thrilled that I already know, known about it. But yeah. I mean, I was just so impressed. And you're right. That's what he's done. He's now built a loyal person. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no doubt you've gone on to tell countless people about that story as well. So it really does pay dividends in the end. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to speak to you about, um, really going back to your time working on, uh, working on the front line, so to speak, is um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see facing customer experience and CRM teams today, particularly in the current environment? You know, some of the biggest, the biggest things are, you know, you're working within a large marketing team with a large budget. The customer experience team is typically a different team within the company. So right there, you've got competing budgets, right? Where to allocate because you're, you're siloed. Within marketing, the shiny objects are always media and media spend right? And maybe even partnerships. So it's really hard for a CRM team, you know, who runs generally very lean, right? Because you're doing a lot of email, other types of communications that don't cost all that much to make a business case on how important it is to 
either have a loyalty program or some kind of advocacy or referral program, mm -hmm. right, to make that business case. So, so the easiest way to do that is, right, to test and learn into it where you can then show what the ROI is so you can get the budget. But it's really difficult to get that media budget, you know, to really look at a holistic budget within a company. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something we're hearing a lot as well. It's it's how do you reallocate that budget? There's so much budget obviously assigned to to Meta and Google and sort of exactly. you know, pumping it into those channels. Um and yeah, it is very, very tough. I'm sure people listening will will kind of attest to that. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you wanted to start moving that budget around, it's not it's not easy. We have been speaking to more companies though that are just, you know, even for a couple of months, they're just like, you know what, we're just gonna turn off facebook we're just going to turn yeah. off google you know even for a couple of months and actually yeah. what what they're finding is that you know you know the business is still standing after two months right you know it might be that they can afford to, to pull some of that budget back and reallocate it but i think people are obviously so entrenched in those channels that it is very difficult to your point to free it up for you know advocacy or loyalty programs yeah and then to take it a step further and really look at the customer experience and the customer service departments and what do they really need to succeed because that's really where you build if you have a great product that's awesome but the service and how people are taken care of you know, is really going to make or break you. You have mm. one bad experience. You know, they talk to much more people than an advocate does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've started to talk about customer advocacy. I, I want to take a step yeah. back, though, um, because I think this term advocacy does mean different things to different people, you know, in a business setting or a, a, as a consumer. We, we might think about this this term advocacy in, in different ways. I'd love if you could sort of give your own definition of, of what customer advocacy is. Um, and how it works, practically speaking, you know, as a growth channel within a business. Yeah. So here's how I, I thought about it at Sleep Number. And this is even advancing from what I thought about it at Sleep Number, e even at Best Buy, how we thought about things. It's really about the easiest way to accelerate your growth at a lower cost is by building brand love right? Building an army of advocates. So the first thing you have to do is you start by engaging this group of people, right? You engage them through media or whatever to come in and buy your product. And you really create a meaningful relationship with them through great interactions and connections, right? Then you want to retain them. So maybe they bought your product. Maybe it's a long cycle product, like a bed, a car, you know, or, or it could be something where you're spending every few months, but you want to retain them. Um, so retain them can either be through, you want to build habit, right? Habit, either with them coming back into your store and continuing to buy or habit to interact with your brand, right? If, like I said, like if it's beds or cars, you want them interacting with your brand and you can do that by, you know, providing meaningful content to them and adding value and rewarding them in different ways. Once you've built, you've retained them and you've built habit, then you can start building on the advocacy component, right? They love your brand. They love what they bought. They're, ad, they're, you know, they're interacting with you maybe on a weekly basis. Now you can start talking about, hey, you know, you love us. How about recommending us? How about endorsing us? How about referring us? You can build a referral program. And then word of mouth is so important through their um, social channels and through their, their personal channels. And then it's all about that brand love and really harnessing that army of advocates to do that heavy lifting for you. Yeah, I really like how you think about those different stages um, from a customer coming in right through to obviously when they're at that level of advocacy. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. One thing I wanted to ask you there, though, was 
did you have a way of being able to identify when a customer was at that stage that they were ready to advocate? Or was it a case of we've retained a customer, they've spent a bit, we're going to show them a referral offer? We, we knew um, through the data when people were most likely to refer. So we knew the timing of when to either put actions up in the loyalty program or to send communications asking for that referral. So you look at the data, right? You see when people are most likely to refer, you know, and that that's when you start hitting them up. You don't want to do that right away. You want them to love your product. So generally, like the first hundred days, you're building that trust in your brand. So mm-hmm. it's after that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, when we were putting together this show, um, and we were talking about your previous experiences at Sleep Number Corp. You were talking about the fact that you really did look at customer value, not just through how much they were spending and using classic RFM models, but really building on that to recognize the additional value that was being brought through advocacy. And actually, we have a similar mindset here at Mention Me, and, and we've developed a metric called extended customer revenue, which is looking at not just the revenue being brought in by an individual customer, but actually how much additional revenue is being brought in through their referrals. I'd love if you could just explain your model in a little bit more detail, how you set it up, how it worked, and ultimately what value you saw being driven off the end of it. Yeah, so the referral model was very, very important to Sleep Number. Um, over 20% of Sleep Number's trackable referral and business comes from referrals. So what happens at Sleep Number is um, it can be, we send a lot of direct mail was done for um, referrals, a lot of emails, but somebody could just go in a store, right? And they're looking for a bed and they say, hey, my friend Lisa referred me. The sales associate can look up Lisa, check that Lisa referred this person. Lisa would then get a referral reward and we would know, right, in the data, (laughs) that that person referred and who they referred. So when I built um, um, the business case for the loyalty program, it was, I could look at people that were in the program versus not how many referrals, the ones that were in the program had because the refer the program, you know, because these people were more active with sleep number and more engaged, right. They were more likely to refer against those that weren't, and I could measure that difference. And referral was a part of it. So of course it was repeat sales, but like I said, you're not going to buy a bed every year. There's only so many sheets and pillows you need. So referrals, getting somebody new into the brand is much more valuable than repeat sales because then you have that new person to continue to refer. And that's how the metrics were looked at. And did you look at the economics as well of, you know, obviously, I'm assuming more you know, cheaper to bring in customers through the referral, exactly. your customers going out and bring them in rather than acquiring them through paid channels? Exactly. We looked at that. It's like I said, though, I mean, I could make that business case all day long. It's still hard to get the media and paid channels, you know, because they're so important to the business as well. But but what it would what the other piece that I would add to this is I would give the person a referral reward. So hmm. they'd get a hundred dollar referral for the first you know, and would keep going up from there. And I knew when they spent those rewards, they'd be spending double or even triple than the value. So that was another metric that was brought into it to show the success. And did you treat this cohort in a a different way? So I'd I'd love to sort of dive into, um, you know, how you thought about segmenting your customer base. Did you have a dedicated segment for your 
customer advocates, let's say. Absolutely. So in all of the, um, everything was highly, highly personalized. I'm really proud of how far Sleep Number came uh, while I was there. Everything was highly personalized. So if you got an email, you knew how many people you deferred and you were thanked for it, and you knew how many in, what you needed to do to get to the next level. We did that in not only email, we did it in direct mail. So the direct mail was highly personalized, speaking to them in that way, as was um, the loyalty program. And there were badging. You know, you think badging, big deal. People love badging. They love to be recognized. <laughs> so it was always recognizing them for that advocacy. Yeah, fascinating, because I, I just don't think it's it's something that many brands are potentially thinking about having mm-hmm. a segment for your customer advocates. You have one for your highest spenders and, exactly. and various other metrics, but actually your your biggest fans seems like an obvious one, and particularly how you've sort of uh, addressed it there. It's a very obvious one, and I am surprised more, like, this is the hardest thing for CMOs to, to understand. It really is how how if you put a little money behind this, what it'll mean for your business. And do you have any examples of specific campaigns that you ran where mm-hmm. you potentially had customers that might have been, you know, a little bit passive to the brand and, and maybe come in once and, and bought and what you did to then turn them into loyal advocates? Yep. So, so turning them into loyal advocates, first of all, is, you know, through the loyalty program, the whole continued engagement and how we built the Sleep Number Rewards program was not, was really to to provide benefit, right? So the program would start out, of course, by thanking them, but it would then give them activities to do that would promote health and wellness. So help them sleep better on their product, learn about how to use their product the best, talk to them and provide them valuable information. It wasn't about, Mm -hmm. hey, you bought this, now come in and buy this pillow. That never happened in the program. It was all about providing value back to them and then rewarding them with points right? To get them up. So it was continued engagement, providing value. We knew exactly when to stick referral in there, right? Because of we knew when they were most likely to refer. But other things we did is we'd target them on Facebook. We'd know who they were on Facebook. So we wouldn't target them with, hey, go refer now. It's thank you. You know, you're such a great advocate, la la, you know, more, more emotional language. Mm -hmm. And then we'd also run referral campaigns throughout the year. And it wasn't about, hey, go refer your friend, do this, do this. It was more about, we know you love your bed and want your friends to sleep better. Did you know, you know, you could refer and here's what you could get and you'd be helping somebody. And that emotional play really made a huge difference. Yeah, and I love that example. And also where you were talking about their examples where you were just thanking people as well. Mm-hmm. It's not all, you know, no. not after every single customer interaction where you're looking to get a referral or drive a new sale. No. There are points in that journey where you're just recognizing them and just thanking them yeah. and just kind yeah. of carrying on that nurture. Exactly. I think that's really important. Fabulous. Uh, Lisa, we've covered some amazing ground today. The last thing I wanted to touch on with you was the best ways that you found to gather feedback directly from customers, you can feed that back into your overall strategy, just making sure that it's the most effective it can possibly be. And we'd get a lot of great feedback that way. Um, and listen, you want to take the good feedback and the bad feedback because you can get better. You're going to get better by listening to some of the things that are frustrating. And most of that feedback goes to our customer service teams. But what the marketing team could do is do these types of missions um, to really help elevate brand love and referrals. Lisa, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you. It was a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.